A quick note before we get started. Did you know we have an email list? Go to hpleadershippodcast.com and enter your email into the form at the bottom left to sign up. Get our PDF on common obstacles and teamwork sent right to your inbox. Subscribers get first listens on new shows and exclusive content. Sign up today, hpleadershippodcast.com. On episode 30 of the High Performance Leadership Podcast, trust in the workplace. You're either making deposits in people's emotional bank account or you're withdrawing. And what I find in the workplace is we typically withdraw. You're listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast. Insights and information from world-class leadership experts. Thanks for joining us. I'm Randy Lane. We've made it to 30 episodes. Thanks to everyone who's listened since the beginning, and thanks to all of our wonderful guests we've had on the show. If you're listening to this on the day it's released, happy Thanksgiving. Today's show, like last week's, is going to be a little different than our normal interview format. We're playing another recorded session from a 360 Solutions Academy at the beginning of the month. This time, 360 Solutions partner Jay Mathis talks to us about trust in the workplace. Jay's been with 360 Solutions since 2008. He's also a pastor at a church in Waco, Texas. He works with large and small companies as well as city governments and nonprofits. And now, here's Jay. How many of y'all have children? Guess kids? How many of you wish you didn't have? No. How many of you have children? I love my kids. And when my kids were little, my kids were little, I would, uh, I would send them out. Uh, to a kindergarten or something. And I'd drop them off and I would say this, be nice to everyone, play nice, share your toys. That's what parents teach their kids. Then somewhere they started playing games, sports. And I remember my daughter was out in about fifth grade and she's playing basketball. And I found myself yelling from the side of the court, take the ball from her, steal the ball, you know. And so what I'm teaching my daughter, and I'd do it over again, you know, but I wanted her to win. And for her to win, what's got to happen? Somebody's going to lose. I'm okay with that system. I get it. It's great. Football games, basketball games. I I, I like all that. But then they grow up and they turn 18, 19, 20, 21. They get that job in some company down the street. And someone shows up and says, now here we want a win-win mentality. I'm telling you, that's a paradigm shift for a lot of people going into the workforce. They may not be able to logically say that, but in their kind of their paradigm is, no, I pretty much get what I want. I, I'm going to fight for what's mine. You know, I don't care if anybody else gets a raise. I don't care what happens. I, I need to move up the ladder. And so we're battling against a win-lose culture. And, and I get that. We just saw on Tuesday a win-lose culture at work. And, but you're trying to create within a company a win-win culture. Ten things about how to achieve win-win. Uh, let me just mention a few of these that I think that I notice when we talk to groups um, seem to resonate with them. The first one, obviously, is listen emphatically, or what I like to call active listening. Some of you are actively listening right now. You're, you've got a pen in your hand. You're, you're thinking. You're, you're asking questions of clarification. Some of you are probably not really you know, into it. You're not empathetic to what we're talking about. You're not trying to actively listen. Um, and so that's what we get in the workplace. Well, we've got to teach people how to start listening actively, to nod their head, to give affirmation back, uh, and not just sit back and kind of let all the things the other people are saying wash over us. So we can help them in that communication. 
And then the second is find out what's important to others. What's the number one way you find out what's important to somebody? Ask a question. Do you know, we are terrible question askers in our culture. I mean, people just, it's amazing how little people are inquisitive about other people. I always say in these companies, I'll say, you need to be curious about other people. And I don't mean in a creepy way. I mean, you just need to be curious. Like, if I sat down with some of you, I would hope you would know more about me than I would know about you. But I can just about guarantee you, you won't. I seldom go anywhere where people know more about me than I know about them because I've spent a lifetime learning how to ask questions and getting to know people. You need to develop that and help your people develop that when you talk to them. Um, the other is avoid absolute statements. Number four, what are absolute statements? What are the key words? Always and never. Always and never. Just, just avoid those outright. There's no need for those words. Uh, and then a couple of others. Look for similarities and areas of commonality. So what we'd like to do is if we're in teams, we'd like to mix those teams up. And so let's say right now y'all are all in your own department. So this is sales, service, production, you know, finance. And, and so what I would want to do is move you all around and put you in a situation where you begin to get to know others. In the book by um, Lencioni called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, which is a great book, by the way. In Five Dysfunctions of a Team, he talks about how the base problem is lack of trust. And the way you get past that is to create vulnerability and transparency in your company. This is really awkward with people. But let me just show you how this works. Let's say we're talking to each other. And what is your name, Brian? Brian. So Brian and I are sitting down talking. And let's say we don't really know each other, or maybe we're from different departments, and there's been some tension. If I sit down and go to lunch with Brian, and I tell Brian things like this, hey, Brian, you know, where are you from, so forth. And, and then I just say, oh, by the way, my, my daughter, she's 23, her name's Laurie. She just had a baby last week. I'm a grandfather for the first time. What are you going to say to me? Yeah, sure. It's a true story. I really am a grandfather as of last week. And, uh, and so, thank you. And so, uh, so Brian says, hey, that, that's great. You have any other kids? I says, yeah, I got a son named Jared. Oh, that's, that's good. You know, uh, tell me about Jared. He said, well, he's 25. And, and I have an opportunity right at that moment to go, he's 25. He works at Baylor, leads worship, good kid, going to something else. Or if I want to try to create trust with Brian, I might say, well, you know, I tell him those things. And I'd say, well, here's something interesting about my son. Um, I don't, you may kind of relate to this, Brian, in some way. Uh, when he was born, he was healthy, but at about 18 months, we found out he had an optic brain tumor. And he had, uh, he's had, uh, in his lifetime, 25 years, he's had over 40 MRIs. Um, he's had four years of off and on of chemotherapy. Uh, and to this day, he, he still has a tumor in his optic nerves. Now, it's weakened, and he could die an old man at 90 and of something else, but it's a reality he has to deal with. And as a father, you know, that just kind of changes your paradigm about parenting and even my paradigm about work and time and money and all those things. Uh, but Jared's great. He, he, his biggest problem, he's visually impaired, so he, he can't drive, so he, he knows all the Uber drivers in Waco. <laughs> now, he does. And uh, so I can stop there. Now, what have I done in, in, in my relationship to Brian? What's happened? I've opened up. It might make him think twice about giving me a nasty email later from work or, or arguing with me over something because he knows I'm a human. Like, I'm real, right? And, and Brian's going to go, wow, that's something. You know, I had a daughter, and when she was like 15, this happened. Or, yeah, boy, I, everybody's got struggles, Jay. Boy, I know that. Our wife and I, we lost our house to a fire last year. And, and all of a sudden now, we're going we're gonna to break down this, this lack of trust that will allow us to move forward and get us out of this dysfunctional state. And so I encourage you to figure out, I always tell groups, I would rather you, I'd rather you risk 
um, the awkwardness of a relationship in the business world than the other extreme of going, oh, I just can't be personal with people. I can't get to know them. Go ahead, be personal, get to know them, um, and, and, and work through some of that. So here are some ways you achieve win-win. You can go over that uh, with others in your group. But what we, what we do know also is that there are things inside the company that build trust and tear trust down, right? Build trust and tear trust down. Hey, tell me what, what tears down trust in an organization? Anybody got an idea? What, what tears down trust in an organization? Rumors. Rumors, yeah, that's good. What's your name? Tom. So Tom, I might do this. Tom, good. What is it? Tony. Oh, Tony. Sorry, Tony. So I might, I might just say Tony because you just kind of remember. I don't have to, but Tony, room is good. And here's always, you always go, good. That's good, Tony. Now I, I want him to be affirmed because when there's thing about trust. Right now you're deciding whether you want to speak out because you don't want to be wrong. Nobody in this room wants to be wrong, right? You do not want to screw this up. So when I ask you what destroys trust, you're like, oh, man, you know, I don't know if I want to say something. What if it sounds wrong? So when Tony says it, first one out of the box, I should go, good. That's good. Yeah, rumors, gossip. Yeah. What else? So what else? What else builds trust? Lying. Lying builds trust. Yeah, lying builds trust. Yeah. Uh, no, tear, no, tears down trust. Excuse me. It destroys trust. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, I, I'm a little bit of a student of presidential politics. I love to watch it, and uh, it's just fascinating for a lot of things, for how they communicate, how they debate, not just their content, but just a lot of things. Um, and, uh, and, and then it's always interesting to, to just ma kind of get real with the reality that politicians do lie, right? And that's why both our recent presidential candidates had a 60% untrustworthiness scale of America. We didn't trust either one of them, right? 60% of the population, and it's because we, we, it was lying or character or those kind of things, so it builds, it erodes our trust with them. What else erodes trust? Politics. What, what? Politics, what was the other thing? Judging. Judging others, yeah, judging others. What else? Going over their head. Yeah, going overhead, right, of the other. What else? Not keeping commitments. Yeah, not keeping commitments. What else? Unethical, yeah, people cheating on things, all right? So these are all real. Unethical behavior, cheating, politics, lying, rumors, gossip. The, the list could go on and on of what destroys trust. But what we want to do is build trust. So what builds trust in the environment? Obviously, the, yeah, expand on that. What do you mean by communication? Okay, letting, uh, letting people know what's going on. See, that's, that's descriptive to communication, letting people know. So I, I've got to share what's happening. All right, so what else? Authenticity. Authenticity. Not a, not a common word, but authenticity, being authentic with people. What else? Respectful. Yeah, showing respect. What else? So follow through with commitments. Integrity. Commitments, the list go on. Just real quickly, what are some others that builds trust? What, being vulnerable then. What do y'all, back there, what do y'all think? Relatability. Yeah, just being relatable. Yeah, that's good. Anything else? Yes, yes. You, you'll find in the workplace, people's trust is built if you start tapping into what, what motivates them. Um, some of you may have seen the book, The Five Love Languages. And uh, in that, it helps couples understand how they like to be loved. And, and there are four primary ones, and it's amazing. Someone has actually taken those and applied them to the workplace. I think either he did or someone else. Um, and so people either like affirmation. They like quality time with their boss. 
Um, they like someone, people doing things for them, helping serve them in the workplace. Um, and some people just like gifts, you know, like rewards for what they do. You, you know these people because you'll walk by the cubicle and they'll have all their little certificates, you know, on the side of their cubicle or their plaques on the wall or, or the koozie they won at a contest. Um, and that means something to them. Uh, for me, I, I like words. So my, my joke with class is often we get into this discussion. You want to build my trust with you at the break? Tell me I'm doing a good job. <laughs> I like to hear this. Does that make sense? But for some of you, you're like, that doesn't matter to me. I, you know, I'd rather somebody, you know, I'd rather get a day off from work. You know, I'd rather get more opportunity to, to, to lead at my work. That will motivate me and build my trust. So we, we, we can erode trust or we can build trust. You're either making deposits in people's emotional bank account or you're withdrawing. All right. And what I find in the workplace is we typically withdraw. It's like the parent who says no all the time. There's studies that found, you know, kids hear the word no a quarter of a million times by the time they're four years old or something. They, they know the word no, right? And so we're, we're then having to build that back in them with words of affirmation, yeses and aff affirming uh, statements. And so, so we got to be building their bank account. D do me a favor, at your table, take a minute and just tell people, how do you think, what are you doing in your current position at work or a job you've had in the past to help build trust, to help build up other people's emotional bank account? What are some things you've seen that you've done or maybe some other people around you have done well? So hopefully you're, you're, hearing, you're hearing affirming things that people are doing to build trust. File some of those away, what you can do to build trust. Face-to-face -face interaction um, is so important. Uh, if you work with millennials and you train millennials, uh, you will find a, a unique thing about them. Um, and I'll just tell this story in relation to what I do uh, in addition to this, which is a pastor. So on our staff are some young people. I work with 30-year-old, 25-year-old, 24-year-old. I'm working with them a lot. And, um, and another 30-year-old. So, and I love these guys, um, but they are of the millennial generation, which means they were born into the email world, and I was not. So I didn't have options to write people's emails when I was upset at them. I never had that option growing up. I didn't have the option to uh, criticize somebody through a text or an email. They have actually known nothing else but that. So I'm talking to one of the guys, and I said, such and such wrote me a strong critique of something I said. And it really ticked me off. And I said, because I feel like he should have been man enough to just call me up and sit down and tell me what's, what he didn't like about it. And the guy didn't even flinch. He said, oh, I would have thought just the opposite. And I thought, what? I was like, email's not for bad news. It's for transact transactional information and good news. And he goes, not our generation. He goes, that's exactly what I would have done. Now, maybe he's a strong introvert. Maybe he's this, maybe he's that. Now, and he was speaking on behalf of a whole generation. It may not be totally correct. But my point is this. In, in his mind, it's perfectly okay to not like what Tony did, and to go back to my office and hide behind my laptop and just send Tony an email and put smiley faces and I hope you take this right, Tony. I hope you'll understand the, the emotion behind it. I hope you get what I'm trying to say, but Tony, I think you did a lousy job at the meeting. Mm -hmm. and Tony's sitting there going, now what do I do with it? You've, I've pushed Tony into the corner, and when you get in the corner, what do you do? You fight, all right? And that's exactly what I told the guy who wrote me this email. He goes, do you want to talk about the email? I said, no, we're never going to talk about that email. I said, you put me into the corner. Now, if you want to talk about the content and your concerns, go for it. I'm here at the table. Let's talk. But I needed a face-to-face -face interaction instead of words on a page that don't convey emotion. 
Because when I'm talking to all y'all, I can convey emotion, frustration, happiness, whatever I want, even with just what I look like. So the first step in good building of trust is you got to get face to face with them. Now, when we do this, it can still go sideways. It can go sideways this direction on mistrust. I mean, we can, we can show ourselves to be untrust, untrustworthy people so we can lie and say things that, you know, are offensive to them. I, I often say to a group, I said, do you realize, like, at about this point in a training class, everybody's developed some level of trust for me. All of you have. There's some level of trust you have for me. But I could say one sentence right now and clear the room, couldn't I? Mm -hmm. Let your mind wander for a minute. I could say one sentence where everybody go, I'm out. If, he, if Chip's going to bring a guy that says that, I'm done. I could, I, I could hurt 360 right now. They go, if that's the kind of people they recruit, forget it. So I can even face to face, I can destroy my trustworthiness and I can create adversaries in the workplace where they don't want to work for me. And once again, presidential politics, you saw that happening, creating adversaries. And one of the ways, what's going to do that is we start to have collusion. What's collusion? Yeah. Sabotage, what's going on? That's what, that's what Brian and whoever else have walked out. They're out there colluding against us right now, I think. <laughs> um, so, so, but, but that's possible, right? They're out there, you know, that's not possible, but that can happen in a group. A couple people walk out you know, and start to, and, and collusion is closely related to passive aggressive behavior, right? So I'm real friendly in your face, but behind your back I'm not. And, and then we get to a win-lose. That's the only option is win-lose. But if we go to, if we take our face-to-face -face interaction and begin to build trust with those win-win interactions by caring about the other person, by trying to find commonality, by asking them questions, I can begin to build trust and ultimately I'm going to start building them as an ally. And in the workplace, I want a lot of allies. I, I want to go into my company and be allies with everybody. Why would anybody want to be adversaries unless they just are so convinced that a win-lose strategy is what it's all about? And so when I do that, I'm going to have dialogue and I can have open, honest communication. In fact, the definition for dialogue is open, honest communication, back and forth communication with each other. And, and then I, it causes me to commit to win-win. So this is where I want to go. And one of them is going to lead to survival in the workplace, failure in the workplace, and one's going to lead to success in the workplace. Um, let me just ask you, with this model, what are the, what are the applications? How do you think we could go from here to ways uh, these teams, these tables here, can talk about this. Just using your own thoughts for a minute, what, what are some ways this model becomes very applicable in the workplace and allows departments and, and employee groups uh, to work through this? What are some things you might recommend they do? Just based on this model. What are some activities? What are some conversations they can have that would help them understand and, and kind of bring this to life? Okay, yeah. Tell them, look, we want you to have dialogue about the adversarial relationships that exist in the workplace. All right, so now we connect the two sides. What else? If you're going to complain, you need to have a solution. Don't just throw a negative statement out there. Have some constructive criticism behind it. If you're going to complain. Right, yeah. It just, just throwing off a comment, it's easy to be a critic. Right. You know, I heard a man say years ago, he said, he said, I've traveled the world and I've never seen a statue of a critic. <laughs> they, they don't build statues to critics. They, they build them to people who have ideas and creative and, and stuff. Particularly critics who don't have anything to back it up with. 
you know, just say you're wrong. Um, what else could you do? Look what else? Win-win solutions. Look for those win-win solutions. Yeah, just have them sit down and say, look, don't talk, nothing else here. I just want us to think about our company and think of all the win-win situations we can have. You go, well, that's kind of tough. Well, we got to work through that. Let me tell you what uh, one of uh, my clients did um, in their company. They had one leader who's retiring and he's being replaced. Well, not really replaced. He, he had three people underneath him. And they're, they're going to, this is risky, but they're going to try it. They're going to take these three people and put them in charge with an ultimate boss, but not even in the same building. That's, it could be fraught with problems, all right? However, it might have a chance because they start functioning as a board who's trying to create win-win among loan production, loan operations, and whatever the other would be um, in those three departments. And, and the only way it's going to work is if they all remember they have the same bank name on their shirt. And, and their job is to make a profit for that company. And that's what we lose sight of. And so, so we, we could sit down with them and say, how, how are we going to create win-wins uh, in this situation? Anything else? Anything else you would want to do with a group of employees? Just based on this. I was on the board of a little private school and um, parents would come and complain to the principal about a teacher. And uh, some principals will go down the hall and chastise the teacher, right? Um, or argue with the parent in defense of the teacher. Our principal would listen calmly and say, I understand, I appreciate how you feel. Here's what I'd like to suggest. Why don't you call the teacher and just sit down with her, schedule a time after school to sit down and y'all talk about some of these issues. Nine times out of 10, that problem never made it back to the principal because the teacher understood something different or the parent figured it was a kid's fault, not theirs, whatever it was. So she would always push them to the point of contact. Now, that's a principle that we need to do as managers, supervisors, push people to the point of contact. Managers, and that's typically what you're going to be training, managers tend to be challenged by what to do in these harmful situations. When I say harmful situations, we're talking about things that, that are going on that you are in a position to deal with. That's the first thing. You've got to be in a position to deal with it. And someone is literally violating uh, a standard, some policy, or at least some expectation of the company. In other words, this can't be you shooting from the hip and saying, oh, I just don't like the way they park their car, so I'm going to go tell them. Well, that's, that's none of your business, right? So we got to, what are the things that you do have the right to know? And so I tell managers all the time, you, you should look at your Important uh, hiring manual. You should look at the policies and procedures to know what you can deal with. And when you do, I think these are some of the best points on harnessing behavior in the workplace. There's four of them on page 33. You've got to be clear about your authority, so make sure that you're their boss. Establish clear expectations, and then be consistent and immediate and without hostility when you're talking to them. Without hostility or guilt. So I want someone to go in not two weeks after the infraction or the problem. They need to go in the next day, close to the situation. They need to remain very calm, be very clear about it, and don't worry about this sense of guilt. Don't have guilt for doing it. Don't be hostile toward them. Remain calm and have the conversation. And then review the consequences um, that they're going to have if that's required. We literally go through these six steps. So let me just go through these with you. So there are six steps to trust, or in this case, to how to harness harmful behavior. So if I, what's your first name? Denise. So Denise has, uh, let's just say, uh, Denise has been 
out in the, uh, the floor, the retail floor, and she's been gossiping about Katie. Are you Katie? Who's Katie? Although the signs moved. So she's gossiping about Katie. Denise is gossiping about Katie. And we have a policy about that. You don't talk about other employees to the, to the customers. You just don't do that. But Denise's got this edge to her. And, you know, she's like really throwing her under the bus, you know. It's not even passive aggressive. It's just straight up aggressive. And so I know this because I overheard it. So I need to sit down with Denise and have this conversation. So I may even have some notes here. And the first thing I want to do is I want to state directly and specifically what I see is happening. I don't want to do this. Hey, Denise, you're one of our best employees. We so appreciate you here at the work, at the workplace. And then I'm going to say, what? But. but. Now, as soon as you say but, every nice thing I just said to Denise, Denise went out the window. Yep. I did it. So I'll just be honest about it and calm. Say, Denise, I've called you in the office because I want to talk to you about something I noticed on the floor the other day while you and Katie were working. Now, have I gotten her attention? Her mind is going, what did I do? You know, I was going, that's okay. I, but I'm calm, and I may even have some notes in front of me. So here's what I want to do. I want to state it clearly. I overheard you telling one of our customers in the fishing department that Katie's incompetent about, you know, reels and lures, and that you should just they should talk to you, and that she's always messing things up, so just don't talk to Katie. And, and we just don't do that here at our company. It, it builds, you know, reduces our credibility with our, with our uh, customers. It, it creates tension within our place. So that's a problem. Now, I might get about that far, uh, and I pipe pause. I say, can you give me some feedback, kind of what happened yesterday mm -hmm. on this? Now, what's she likely to do? Lie. Defend, maybe lie. Um, she might cry. <laughs> she might get mad. I don't know what she's going to do. What, it doesn't matter. I'm going to stay calm. I'm just going to stay calm. And, and I will probably say this powerful sentence, which is, yes. And I might say, Denise, look. I, and if she does that, I can say, Denise, I understand and appreciate how you feel. I do. However, at this company, we don't gossip about our customers, and we sure don't gossip about our fellow employees. We work together as a team. So here's what's going to happen, Denise. Um, you're going to be on probation for the next two weeks. I'm going to have you meet with your direct manager every afternoon just to talk about work and what goes on. And, and if this keeps up, we may have to take the next step. You know, according to our policies and procedure, the next step is to you know, dock your pay for a week or something like that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make that clear. Now, I've really gotten her attention, right? And hopefully that's going to take care of it. She doesn't want to meet with her manager every week. She doesn't want to talk about this. But now I've done that. And what I want to do is it says, number five, I want to ask for a commitment. So what I want to do with Denise is say, Denise, do you, do you understand what I'm talking about here? Now, hopefully at that point she'll go, yes, I understand, Jay. I say, well, Denise, can I have your commitment that you're going to work really hard to, to say kind things about our fellow employees, to work together as a team. Can I have your commitment? Yes. Okay. So now I've got it all on record. Like, this is happening. She's told me this. And, and I might even, just so now, I might go, thanks, Denise. I appreciate that. I'm writing, and she knows what I'm writing. Denise said she's committed to not gossip about Katie. And that, thank you. You know, and this is where we close it out. I said, Denise, look, I, you know, as much as you don't like to be here, I, I don't even like to do these things. But it's just part of what we have to do in work. I just want you to know, you've been with us three years. Our customers love you. I mean, you, you, you know you're an expert in the fishing department. I mean, you do a great job. You're always here on time. So I'm just going to assume this is a, a side deal, and we're going to get this taken care of. And she's nodding her head going, yeah, I'm not going to do that anymore. Now, that's, that's if it works really well. It could go worse. She could be really grouchy about it and difficult and start throwing Katie under the bus again. And at that point, I, I may have to say, look, Denise, I'm going to have to stop you here. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just your direct manager, but if this is going to keep going this direction, uh, we're going to set a meeting with the president of the company and talk about this. Now, I've really 
Okay. But I've, through all that, I haven't gotten mad. I haven't gotten emotional. I don't need to. And the reason I don't need to is because I have leverage. I'm her boss. I mean, ultimately, I've got leverage. And I tell managers all this time, why are you getting upset at people? You're their boss. You don't have to get mad at them. You don't have to do all that. Now, she, you know, any number of things could happen. But what I would tell you is that if you will write these down, and I've had managers testify, they've done this. They've literally written these down and done them in real time in their workplace. It helps rein in some of the distrust and the, um, the toxic things that can go on in your company. And there's plenty of those things. So it talks about some role playing in our booklet. Um, role playing is a blast. Sometimes I video them, show them to them later. It's hilarious. Um, and some of them do really good. I had one woman, uh, she was in Denise's situation, but it was a different story. And she literally made herself cry in, front, in the role playing, it was classic. The guy didn't know what to do. He was role playing as a manager. And she started crying and telling his sob story. And anyway, um, but I want to find out, can those managers maintain composure and keep trying to build trust? Because here's what I'll say in, in closing here, is that I, I think if we're talking about the role of trust, our job is to restore people in the workplace. It's not to tear them down. It's not to just say, I don't care. They can just go get another job. You know, it's more expensive to have someone leave and try to replace them, then it's just to help them. So a lot of our job as managers is to restore people to a place they were or to help them grow and develop as a person. And, and so when I, I, in fact, lately, I don't really have a, a class that I, that I don't draw these triangles. And I say, look, this is where most of you see yourself and you see your employees down here. And your job is to, you know, have them do things. You know, they're, they're your tools that you get things done. And, and so we would say that you lord over them. You know, you're always over them. And so I, I think in the world we live in, a transformational model of leadership that we teach at 360 Solutions, we want our managers to be down here and trying to lift everybody up, trying to restore them, trying to make them a better employee. That's the whole point of employee training is to do that. And, and I'll just tell you... Um, I've had so many kind of testimonies of people where I've seen them lifted up, partly because of what we're doing in the class, but partly because they realize their bosses are having them go through these trainings. And, and you will see that in people. They'll, they'll actually restore and, and get stronger in what they do. Thanks for listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us. Every little bit helps. Our website is hpleadershippodcast.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash hpleadershippodcast. Follow us on Twitter at hpl underscore podcast. And shoot us an email at podcast at 360solutions.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.